1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Um, I've, I've ministered to quite a number of people over, actually this month, um, the six years of pastoral ministry here at Calvary. And um, in those years, um, I've, I've interacted with, had the pleasure of visiting with, and hearing a lot of things from people. Um, on one-on-one, um, in homes, in the hospital, um, in my study, um, at the door after services, so on and so forth. And I enjoy those opportunities. But I've heard a lot of things, and I've heard some things um, that, uh, um, I, that I've observed that tend to be a, a, one of the things I hear often is a defeated sort of tone from believers. Um, a tone that, that comes across as, as, as I'm just defeated um, in, in my senior years, and I'm speaking primarily of, of conversations I've had with some seniors, not all, but some, um, that have given this sort of a defeated portrayal of um, um, outlook on maybe the remaining years that the Lord may have for them and ahead of them. And I've observed on a number of occasions, more than once, um, things like this. And here are some things that I've heard over the course of ministry. I think the Lord is just done using me. I've done my time. God is surely interested in younger, more capable people. I don't have much to look for, look forward to anymore. This body just ain't what it used to be. I wasn't going to reveal who you were. No, okay. <laughs> we could probably all say that at one point in time. There's an illustration that came to mind as I was thinking about this. And I like to call it, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Growing up in our household, we didn't have a whole lot. When, I th- when you think about financial things, I had more than I needed. The Lord was good to us. We have, I have, still to this day, marvelously generous and loving parents. We didn't miss out on anything. But when it came time for Christmas, in fact, it was a conversation in the van coming to church. One of my sons said, Mom, when is Christmas? Is it next? Which in his term is, is it next day, next week, next sleep, whatever. Nope, there's a lot of sleeps between here and there anyway. Maybe it reminded me even more of what I was planning to share to you tonight, and it has to do with Christmas. In our household, our parents taught us to not make a big deal. We, we could still have Christmas whether we had presents or not. Maybe some of you thought that way and think that way and share that with your family or not. But there were times, and being in a pastor's family and living um, from day to day, week to week sometimes, for meals and rent and anything else going on, um, just serving the Lord and trusting Him, there were times where it would be the night before Christmas before we found out that the family might be able to share some gifts one another, back and forth. So those times we did have a gift to share, and those times where we had a tree in the house and there were gifts around the bottom of the tree, we'd meet together, and it was such an exciting time. I mean, any which way you say right, wrong, or any which way you look at it, to put a glittery, shiny, wrapped gift with a bow on top of it and write the kid's name on it is like the best ever. You're waiting to see what's inside that gift. And then we begin to pass out gifts to the family. And when you have a family of seven, there's a few gifts under the tree. 
We begin to pass them out, and we always start out going slow and one at a time, and then it turns into a frenzy and papers flying everywhere. Bodies are flying. No, not bodies. Just paper and bows and things are flying, and we get all done, and everything settles down for a minute, and it's like there's this quiet hush. You know what I'm talking about. And the hush is, 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 is there anything else? And so we Make sure we separate the paper. My dad was always dutifully, and it passed on to me, making sure we picked up the trash as we went, keep the living room clean. Mom, save the bows for next year. And now everybody's doing their part, and we're all separating our little piles of gifts that we've gotten so we can keep them distinguished from everybody else. And then there's this hush, and we all look around at each other, and then we look back at the tree, and we look at each other, and is that it? Is there anything else? And so then some of the younger ones that were less bashful would go over there and crawl under the tree and look around. Nope, it's all gone. You take the skirt off the bottom of the tree, shake it out a little bit. Nope, that's it. It's all over. And every year that I could remember, most every year, there was always one. One kid in the family or a parent that would say, there's one more, you know, and it would be hiding in the tree or under the couch or in the garage or something. And there always had to be somebody that would hide the one gift, and there was always one more. Um, when all the presents were gone under the tree, someone would say, wait, there's more. What exciting words those were. Whether it was for one individual, whether it was forgotten. Sometimes mom would do that. Ladies, like Thanksgiving table, you all sit down, you pray, oh, the peas, you know, all oh, the potatoes, you know, and you go, oh, there's one more. The worst is when you finish the meal and you forget to bring the item, you know. But man, those are good words when there's always, there's one more, right? It's a lot like what John is telling us in chapter 3 of 1 John in his epistle in verse 2. This is the spirit in which John is writing to his beloved, the sons of God, to you and me as Christians. And he's writing and saying, but wait, there's more. There's something else. Do you know, dear Christian, God is not finished with you yet. God is not finished with us yet as a Christian. I say this kindly, no matter what age, stage in life you are, if you are a born-again Christian, God is not done with you yet. There is more. And what's coming that we can look forward to is incredible. It's out of this world, really. God has given to us already Love. He has given us eternal life. These are things that John has reminded us of and refreshing your mind of things we've studied together recently. These things are privileges that every child of God possesses. Here it is, right now. Love, being part of his family, possessing right now eternal life. These are things we possess right now. Sometimes in the world we live in, the age that you're trapped in, whatever, we hear and see the things going on. Sometimes with age, the experience level obviously is higher than that of somebody's younger. You've, you've seen more friends and family and peers go before you go home to be with the Lord. You've seen difficult things 
You've seen wonderful things. You've seen and experienced more. And sometimes in this human world, we have to be careful as Christians to not develop a jaded outlook that might say some of these things I mentioned right now. The Lord is done with me. I've done my time. I've reached that age. I'm in spiritual retirement. God is not done with us. There is more. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, we looked at most recently last time. I'll read that verse again. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Verse 1 of chapter 3 looks to the past. It looks backwards, and, it is, and John is explaining the privileges already received by believers. And then you get to verse 2 tonight, and instead of looking at the past, John now looks to the future in anticipation of the prospects to be revealed when Christ returns. So John shows us in chapter 3 and verse 2 of his little letter here the glorious reality that someday we will be glorified. Glorified someday. Our bodies will be changed. Yes! (laughs) Right? Our bodies will be changed someday. We will be glorified. This is the Word of God. This is what He's telling us. And this is to bolster our outlook to encourage us to build our confidence in meeting our Lord one day. So look with me at the prospect reserved for the children of God. In this verse, I think there's three looks, three views that we can see. And the first one is a currently restricted view. A currently restricted view. Not being able to see something exactly the way it is right now, currently. Often, an artist's conception of a proposed building is painted. Have you ever seen one of those before? There's a plan for a building to be constructed and built, and then an artist, I'm not talking about architectural designs here, blueprints, I'm talking about an artistic, beautiful painting or drawing of what the building is supposed to look like. It's like the, one of those ones that shows all of the landscaping. It might even show a few cars in the parking lot or if it's a house, whatever. The artist draws or paints or creates a painting long before the building is constructed, and it lets interested people know what the proposed building will actually look like. Have you ever seen these before? You can just nod with me. You see them on the easel in a building. You know, here's our addition to every building. Here's the new hospital, new building, and it's just really pretty, sunny day, clouds in the background, the blue sky, grass and everything, beautiful building. You're like, wow, I got a lot of work to do because it looks like just a piece of dirt out there right now. But the, the, the artist works hard to make it look beautiful. And in most cases, the finished product is amazingly exactly like what was planned to be built. Isn't that fun to see? In some cases, they'll even take that original painting, the builders or the owners of the building, or that original drawing, that art that is done, and they will put it up inside the building that's completed. 
and a lot of times it's really neat how the artist can make that look just like it's planned to be built. How do you think the artist can paint a picture of what has not been built yet and constructed? Well, it's because they look at the architect's design. They look at the, the blueprints. They go to the architect and they say, what is it going to look like? What are the measurements? What are the How many windows? How many doors? And so on and so forth. And you engineers in the congregation know exactly what I'm talking about. They go to the architect and they look at the design so that they can make an exact replica of what has not yet been built. And because the artist has seen the architect's plans, it works out this way. John could not see what we will be like in our glorified bodies. He did not have a view of what this glorified state will be like, but he had an idea when comparing other things. We could not paint a picture of what a believer will look like in his glorified body. But the verse, in, in verse 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. It doesn't yet appear. That means it hasn't been manifested. We can't see what we will be yet. This is what he's writing. You see, there are some things about the glorified body which we just don't know yet. There are things we just do not know yet about our future glorified bodies in heaven with our Lord because our knowledge is incomplete. If you were in our Bible class this morning, the Sunday school, Pastor Chris is, is leading us through a study in Joshua. Make sure you go to that. It's excellent. And as we're going through Joshua, one of the applications that were drawn this, this morning in Bible class was, was making the distinction between God's infinite wisdom and our finite wisdom. Our inability to know all things and His ability to know all things. And we have to remember we don't know all things. We can't see all things. God has not, He's intentionally not manifested some things to us. That word manifest means to make known, to make seen, to show us. And so there are some things that God has not shown us. There is so much He has. And I believe that there is an infinite amount of things that we do not yet know. And that's okay, isn't it? It's okay, because if our Lord, being a loving, compassionate, supplying Lord, felt and knew that we needed to know something, he would give it to us in his word if he has. So that's not like a dangle the carrot in front of the horse sort of a thing here. It's not a cruel God to be able to do this. But we have to remember that we don't know many things. He knows all things. He's chosen not to reveal some things to us yet. However, knowing that God is the architect of the body, I think you, as well as me, you can with me, rest assured that our future glorification will be amazing. It will be amazing. It will be glorious, to use Scripture's words. So we have a currently restricted view right now. God knows exactly what's happening. He's, this has been part of His plan since... Well, there is no beginning since ever. 
Since long before us, this has been part of God's plan. And so, secondly, in verse 2, we still see, in the very same verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we see a coming, a soon-coming revelation. A soon-coming revelation and showing and, and, and a declaration of something. We see this in the verse where John says, But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. To be like Jesus? To be like him? This is what John is saying. We need to remember that our knowledge has limitations. But if it were revealed, if it was revealed what our future glorified bodies would be like, this much we know with certainty. Here's what we know with certainty because God's word is certain. And God's word has told us we will be like him. Wow. <laughs> to be like Christ. This is our guarantee. This is his guarantee. Whatever his name that owns a men's warehouse, I guarantee it, right, on the commercial. Nothing compared to the infinite gods, I guarantee it. You shall be like me. This change will occur. When I speak of the change, this change from our, from our, our uh, corruptible, human bodies here in this earth right now. This change from that like we are now to that which we will be will occur at the rapture when Christ appears to take his church to heaven. And Paul wrote of this in Philippians chapter 3 verse 21. You might mark this passage here. Flip over to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. Listen to Paul's words here about the very same subject. Philippians 3.21 says, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we have a vile body, a corruptible body, an imperfect body, in an imperfect world, in an imperfect life that is guaranteed by the blood of Jesus and because of God's plan that is predestined for you and me, we have the guarantee that this vile, corruptible body, Scripture says, will be changed to that which is like Christ in glory. And if we doubt it at all, Paul writes to the Philippians, the believers in Philippi, if that's all a doubt at all, in verse 21, he says, he, he gives the guarantee, he says God is able to do this because he can do anything. All things are able to be subdued by him. It's not dependent on you and me. It's guaranteed by him. We will not be like him in deity, in the sense that we're all going to be gods. Okay? But we will be like him in position. We will be like him in heaven with him. The Apostle Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians. Let's go over there for a moment in chapter 15. A extraordinarily helpful and beautiful passage in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just consider and ponder with me what I'm saying, what, what John and Paul is saying in Scripture about our future glorification. Let me just read through this lengthy passage for a moment and just follow along and just imagine, just ponder with me the realities Okay? There are some negative realities. Let me 
uh, tip you off here a little bit. There are some negative realities about our current state in our physical bodies, and there are some gloriously um, positive realities about our future glorified bodies. Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's begin in verse 35. We're going to get there in weeks ahead in our 1 Corinthians study, so this is a little bit of an exciting teaser here. All right. We get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul writes to correct the Corinthians when they had some misunderstandings about the resurrection, the bodily resu- resurrection and presence with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 35, says, <clears throat> But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat and some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for one star differeth from another star in glory so also is the resurrection of the dead it is sown in corruption it is raised in incorruption it is sown dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power It is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first, which is spiritual but that which is natural and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy the second man is the lord from heaven as is the earthy such are they that also are earthy and is and as is the heavenly such are they also that are heavenly a few more verses and as we have borne the image of the earthy we shall also bear the image of the heavenly sounds like what john is talking about doesn't it bearing the image of the heavenly Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be, let's say it together, changed, glorified. What an incredible passage of Scripture to remind us of the realities of our future glorification. Paul discusses the great difference between our earthly bodies and our resurrected bodies. Our glorified bodies will not We'll, we'll one day in heaven, after the rapture, we will one day be no longer subject to our present limitations and decay. I'm not going to take a time for testimonies, raise hands, and let's all share our limitations. 
Well, certainly not point out our limitations in everybody else around us either. But we have limitations. I mean, am I the only one with physical limitations? Don't tell my boys this, but I can't jump over a skyscraper. Okay? I know, right? What, Daddy? I have physical limitations. You have physical limitations. Some of us make noises when we get up and we get down that we shouldn't be making. Bones creaking, wincing. Folks, I'll be 36 in February. I'm way too young to be going, oof, when I sit down on the floor with my boys. I've got a lot of years of the Lord Terry's ahead of me of saying those things. These are all indications that we are inside of a corruptible body. But we are we are soon to inherit that which is incorruptible. We will be transformed and be made to look like him. We will no longer be subject to sin and its consequences. No longer will we have to fight and struggle the temptation of sin. No longer will we have to resist the temptation to do wrong and to feed the flesh. No longer will the presence of sin be before us where we're shielding our children's eyes and seeking to walk carefully in a dark world. One day it will all be behind us. And that day is guaranteed, and the Lord is not finished with us, both bodily and spiritually. He has the best yet to come. There will be no more disease. There will be no more death. I still have my Bible open to 1 Corinthians, and rather handily so, because if we continued reading, let me read some of our more verses. 1 Corinthians 15, and then verse 52 through 55 says this. In a moment, I'll read again. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? This is like the Lord with his fist shaken against death. What did our Lord do when it came to death in the grave? He conquered it, didn't he? Death could not hold it. Death could not hold him. Death is not final for us. It is the beginning for us in the Lord's perfect timing. John is speaking of the very same reality here. Furthermore, every believer will undergo this change. Not only good believers, it's not limited and taken from bad believers. Dear believer, if you're a born-again Christian here tonight, then this change is for you as well as for me. No matter, and no matter how much right thinking of 
how good of life you live. Oh, I've always sort of believed God existed. I've, I've, always, I've always tried to live a good life. You know, I've always been kind and compassionate and giving. And sure, I believe Jesus died. Dear friend, if you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then this truth is not for you. But it can be. It can be. Every born-again believer will undergo the very same change. So in short, our resurrected bodies are um, uh, spiritual. They are imperishable and raised in glory and power. Just think of it. (laughs) Just think of the provisions for a moment. Ponder this. The provisions for complete moral perfection are supplied by God's grace. They're supplied by the grace of God. Do you remember Job in the Old Testament? It's not Job. It's Job. And in the Old Testament, Job um, uh, revealed the, the, the throbbing of his heart for this coming promise of glory. In Job chapter 19 and verses 25, 26, and 27, he says this, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. This is the heartthrob of a man that knew his eternal destiny. Back in 1 John chapter 3, in the one verse that's before us tonight in this little epistle, we see a Christ-centered purpose. For we shall see him as he is. Who's the he? First of all, the we, that's us, children of God, shall see him, our Lord, as he truly is. And when Christ appears, every believer will see him. And presently, we may, or excuse me, we presently know and see, if you will, we see our Lord through his word. God's word is his revelation to us of him. This is how we see him today. But at his appearing, the physical barrier will be shattered. No more black letters on white pages, but him before us. And we will see him as he is. He will be in his, we will be in his presence. And there will be a transformative power as we view him as he is. Do you know what this means for us tonight, right now, as Christians? It means that we don't have to sit around and wait until then to become like Christ. This was the message of verse 1 last time. We are to be like him now in light of our final future glorification and becoming like him. 
This side of heaven are becoming like Christ is progressive. It's step by step, inch by inch, climb by climb on the journey in this life on this earth now. But one day, that transformation to be like him will be finished, complete, final, and, and, and at one very moment. How does a believer become more like Christ? Well, right now, and this is where the rubber meets the road in our application, think about the godliest person you know right now. Don't say it out loud, but just think about it for a minute. The godliest man or woman you've ever known. Thinking of that person, think of that individual. Now think about this. How do you think they got to that point? How do you think that individual got to that point? How did she or he become that way? I can tell you right now, And I believe that that individual you're probably thinking of most likely did not get that way by sitting around on their own hands and doing nothing and just waiting and praying for the Lord's return. No, that person undoubtedly was studying God's word, was spending time and praying and getting to know his or her Lord. That person was in God's word, seeing God's example, contemplating Christ and then also actively mimicking Christ's example and spending much time in prayer through that process. As you know, God's word reveals our faults and Christ's example challenges us to be like him. I say this often when we talk about Bible reading. You know, we begin at the end of the year, beginning of the year, I'm going to read through the Bible and we start reading through the Bible and you spend time in God's word and God's word has the ability to, in a good way, beat us up a little bit. You ever been bruised after reading God's word? I'm not talking about stubbing your toe because you're reading during devotions or anything. But God's word has the ability of bruising us a little bit in a good way, doesn't it? Saying, yep, yep, that's how I'm not like Christ. Thank you. Yep, that's how I'm not like him. All right, thank you, Lord. And we have the marvelous privilege in his love and forgiveness to be able to do something about it. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 says this, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Abiding in Christ makes us more like Christ. It makes us more like Christ in this life when we abide in him and 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 he and, and abiding in him, becoming more like Christ in an intentional, obedient, and loving way, it helps to build our confidence for when one day we will appear before him. He will appear before us. But becoming more like Christ in this life is different than our transformation that's instantaneous in glory one day. Transforming now takes time, it takes work. But in glory, it's instantaneous. Dear Christian, let me encourage you this way. If you, like me, sometimes struggle a little bit, maybe you're honest enough with God to pray something like this, Lord, I'm trying, but it's hard. (laughs) I'm trying to be like Christ. Life's difficult. It takes work. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't have the fervor, the fight, and the strength like I once had. Be encouraged in realizing that one day that final transformation, if you're a believer, will be instantaneous and glorious. Live for Christ now in view of that biblical reality. 
Abiding in Christ will make us more like Christ in this life. Excuse me, abiding in Christ will make us more like Christ in this life and will give us confidence when he appears. God wants you to know. We see this in John chapter 3 and verse 2, that God wants you and me to know that he is not finished with you yet, that there is more to come. And the reality of our coming glorified bodies should work to stir our anticipation for the appearance of Christ one day. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this evening, I pray the promise of future glory for your children will, will work to build our confidence in one day standing before you. Dear Lord, help each one here this evening, tonight, to live in the realization that you are not finished with us yet. And that in the meantime, we must strive to pursue Christ-likeness right now. Oh Lord, thank you for providing us with insight into your marvelous plan of glorifying our bodies one day. In Jesus' name.